Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to the What's Next podcast, where I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming Raj Shisodia to the show today. He's published 10 books and over 100 academic articles. He is F.W. Olin's Distinguished Professor of Global Business and Whole Foods Market Research Scholar in Conscious Capitalism at Babson College. He has a PhD in marketing from Columbia. He is the co-author of the New York Times bestseller, Conscious Capitalism, and also the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Everybody Matters. His most recent book is The Healing Organization. He's on the board of directors at the Container Store and co-founder and co-chairman of Conscious Capitalism. Raj, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here, Tiffany. Well, I, I'm going to jump right in because there's so much I want to talk to you about. But the first thing I have to do is something I call bullish and bearish. It's where I ask you three quick questions and to see if you are bullish for it or bearish against it. It's just something to help our listeners get ready for the rest of our conversation and lean into what we're going to talk about. So are you ready? Yes. All right. The first one, sustainability momentum will drive conscious capitalism. Uh, I think it, it will. It's one of the factors that is driving it. There are many things that are coming together now uh, to make people more receptive to the ideas of conscious capitalism. All right, fair. We're going to talk about that. The next one is, does marketing need to be reformed? Yes, absolutely. And that's been part of my journey. And we will talk about that in more detail. But uh, I, I think it continues to need uh, fundamental rethinking. And some of that has happened, but we need more. All right. And the third one is a little more fun. It is, will robots develop personalities? They will seem to have personalities. I don't think they really will have personalities, but to the uh, the person interacting with them, without realizing that there's a robot on the other side, it will seem like they have a personality. They're sort of engineered personalities. Well, I'm going to take that robot personality. And I think it's a great segue into the first sort of set of questions and conversation I want to have with you, which is uh, the book that you wrote, uh, you know, I guess it's been a number of years ago about marketing and, and two of them really, but you've been doing this work for some time now. And I think it it is so timely still to this day and so does marketing need reform is one of them. And the other was the four A's of marketing. But I'm really interested to hear since does marketing need uh, reform was written, what, 15 years ago? Yeah, I think it came out in 2006. We started working on it in 2004. Yeah, so it's been a while. But as you look back on that, I think it lends itself to actually all three of those questions. But, you know, many people are using technology, robots, bots, machine learning, AI to quote unquote, market better. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but I think that's a, a great conversation to have. So maybe you can start with, you know, not necessarily the academic journey, but when you sort of came to the hypothesis of does marketing need reform and what you've learned uh, since that book published to today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, does marketing need reform was uh, prompted by my uh, 10 years of research into marketing performance, uh, efficiency, ethics, uh, and effectiveness. And uh, starting out as a business professor, I had noticed that we spend a lot of money on marketing in this country. And I was always interested in looking at the outcomes of that and how can we become more effective and efficient. And the overall story that I found was pretty uh, 
bad in the sense that there were a lot of ethical issues that we faced and also that we were spending a rising proportion of money uh, the corporate spending was going towards marketing over time so if you looked at we looked at marketing spending over a 50 year period and we found that spending had risen dramatically even while customer loyalty and trust had uh, plummeted and so while other business functions like manufacturing and management were doing more with less it felt like marketing was doing less with more and so hence we started asking the question well, how much are we spending and what are we getting for it and when we saw the numbers that we were spending about a trillion dollars in 2004 on advertising sales promotion and uh, direct mail uh, to put that into perspective that was the gdp of india that year a billion people were living on what we were spending on those three things and on a per capita basis it was more than the income of 85% of the world's population so we said wow that's a lot of spending what are we getting for customers for companies and for society and the answer really was not much most customers don't trust marketing most companies have low returns on their spending and society is dealing with the consequences of aggressive marketing in many ways with the rise of obesity and diabetes and many other things that are aggressively marketed to uh, children and others and so we found that there was a need to step back and and take a fundamental relook at what we're doing in our profession and i personally felt you know i didn't feel very proud of being a marketing professor i didn't feel like it was doing noble things in the world so we organized a conference uh, and invited a bunch of scholars to talk about the issue can do we need to fundamentally rethink from uh, the ground up what marketing is all about and then we did a book on that as well and concluded that yes we really do need to rethink and realign what marketing ultimately is about and in a way we need to reconnect to the higher purpose of marketing which should be to improve people's lives right to uh, to enrich their lives and not just to sell more stuff and so that quest then led us to the next logical journey having quantified and shown how bad things were we said okay how do we now make it better and we started a book we were calling in search of marketing excellence and we were looking for companies that spend less money on marketing and yet have outstanding customer loyalty and trust because most companies are the opposite they spend a ton of money but their customer loyalty and trust are very low and with that lens we started to find a, a bunch of companies like whole foods and we soon found that not only were their customers loyal and trusting but so were their employees and so were their suppliers and communities embraced them so even though whole foods was spending 90% below the industry average uh, on marketing they had some of the most uh, loyal and fanatically uh, you know trusting customers and uh, but it extended to all their stakeholders so we found that there was a pattern there that these companies actually looked after the well-being of all of their stakeholders not just their customers and then we also found that there was a reason for these companies to exist what we now call a higher purpose and that's really kind of what acted as a glue between stakeholders everybody was passionate about the purpose of these companies whole foods is about improving people's health and well-being and changing our food system right and so that really created a bond between stakeholders and also kind of gave an alignment uh, and also a true north to the company as a whole so the principles of higher purpose and stakeholder integration were uncovered through that research uh, and then all they had different kinds of leaders and they had cultures where people actually enjoyed and looked forward to going to work so we found these tenets of what we would later call conscious capitalism and that book was called firms of endearment how world class companies profit from passion and purpose and at the end of it we also found that these companies dramatically outperformed the market financially even though they were not seeking to maximize profits right they were seeking to achieve their purpose and treat their stakeholders well 
And they were spending more in many areas. They were paying their people better. They were providing better benefits, investing in their customers, in their communities, in the environment, and even paying taxes at a higher rate. And still, they were dramatically more financially successful as well. So that became a pretty important message. And that then led to the founding of the Conscious Capitalism Movement in 2008. Well, so there was a lot of things to unpack there, but I, I want to double click on a couple. One is, um, you know, there's a lot, the Edelman Trust Barometer has followed a lot of what you just said, right? Over the same amount of time, trust was at an all-time low. There was sort of a crisis of trust between brands uh, and the consumers or customers that they were selling to. And so I feel like we've also, and I'd love your opinion, I feel like we've over pivoted a little bit where people said, well, we just need to use these buzzwords. You know, if it's uh, we're more aware or we're more conscious or we're more equal or we're more sustainable or we're more caring or whatever it might be from a marketing and messaging and brand positioning um, to actually having this level of authenticity behind the marketing so that the messaging isn't viewed as being, you know, you're just trying to jump on the latest bandwagon that the brand really lives and breathes it. Like the Whole Foods example, right? I think anybody who's ever shopped in Whole Foods would agree that what they say and what they do and who they are aligns. Um, and, and I'm fortunate enough to work for a company where people would agree that that is the same as well. But, but I'd say, you know, would you agree with that? And, and, and what are the telltale signs of taking what you just said? Because I agree, I think it is far more than that. And we've been really talking about this inclusive marketing as well, kind of including that, trying to bucket all those things you said into something big. But what about that perception and reality gap? Yeah, no, I think authenticity is sort of the new uh, baseline. We have to, we cannot pretend to be something that we are not. So this is really, I think, uh, I forget who said it, but that being a good company is is the, is the new branding, right? That fundamentally, in, in that sense, marketing becomes about amplification. First of all, you have to get clear on what you stand for, what are your core values, what is your purpose, what are you trying to do in the world? And then you let people know. This is what we're about. And if you resonate with that, you should work here. If you resonate with that, you should be our customer and uh, invest in us, supply us, etc. right? And if not, then uh, then you should not be, right? So I think it's not about maximizing sales and trying to get everybody in. It's basically saying, this is what we're about. And if you believe in it, you should be on this journey with us. So I think that becomes a much more authentic and, uh, and sustainable way to be in relationship with all of your stakeholders. Uh, than the old way, which was basically trying to uh, be clever and come up with taglines and and so forth and outsource all of that, right? All of that got outsourced to uh, people far away from the company to create something clever that was not rooted in reality, I think, you know. So the commitment to authenticity and to truth, I think, is what's really needed. And then, uh, you know, marketing can become actually a positive force. It's what we would call conscious marketing. There's a higher purpose that's rooted in improving the quality of life of our customers and relating to them in a truly authentic and deep way. So I wonder, so not everyone listening has a role in marketing, but, you know, I, I often say that sort of who plays a part in customer experience and delivering these compelling experiences, not just marketing or not just customer service or not just for sales or not just, you know, the it's everybody. And I wonder if you would agree from a marketing function, right? Because sometimes when people hear this kind of conversation and they go, and I hope you haven't left yet, right? But I'm not in marketing. This isn't for me <laughs> or it's not relevant to me. 
Uh, what would you say to people pushing back who feel like, you know, I don't have marketing in my title or I don't report to the marketing organization. So this conversation is not right for me. Well, you know, this is about the company as a whole and everything that we do impacts all stakeholders. Right? So there's also, you know, what we call internal marketing that impacts employees. Right. And uh, so, again, it's really about looking at the company as a whole and not being focused on the silos of marketing versus finance versus operations and so forth. See, that's not how customers, uh, the outside world looks at companies. They see the whole totality of what the company is about. And that's really where our other book, The Four A's of Marketing, came in. Because we were trying to find a way to align everything that we do with what is really needed out there in the world. right? And so instead of the classic four P's of marketing, which are more inward looking, we created the four A's of marketing, which are more outward facing, which is related to the kinds of value that customers are seeking. And those are the four A's, acceptability, affordability, awareness, and accessibility. And how do we create those? And that requires us to leverage all of the organization's capacities, not just what's in the marketing department. So I'm going to pivot a little bit because I think that that sets the foundation. All the work that you've done in marketing in the past, I think is fantastic. And but I want to get closer to the work you've been doing lately. And I think one is hand in hand with the other, because now this, the work you're doing in conscious capitalism, the work you're doing um, with your other books, you know, I just think it's, it's fascinating because those are the topics that people want to talk about, right? I think the healing organization, everybody matters. I mean, it's just been really fantastic. So maybe you can step us through when you decided to make that shift, you know, what, what, what made you want to make it? And then what have you learned since? Yeah, so I think in searching for a better way to think about marketing, I discovered a much bigger uh, story and a better way to be in business. It wasn't just about marketing. And that was the book Firms of Endearment, and that then led to uh, Conscious Capitalism and the Tenets of Conscious Capitalism. And ever since then, so we uh, Firms of Endearment came out in 2007. That's when I met the CEO of Whole Foods, uh, John Mackey, and shared with him my vision for what I was at that time calling the Institute for New Capitalism. I said, John, I've never been taught this way of doing business. And this is something that has you know, appealed to me, not just intellectually, but really at a deeper level, at a heart level. For the first time in my life, I felt proud and excited about my work. And uh, I said, I want to dedicate the rest of my life uh, to this, to this way of being in, uh, in business. And he looked at that and said, that's exactly my vision, but I like the phrase conscious capitalism. So that's how we started. And then we invited a bunch of people to his ranch and we decided to launch the movement in 2008. And that journey for the last 12 years or so has really been deeply gratifying to explore how human we can make business, how we can have a more and more inspiring purpose and how can we create greater amounts of value for all stakeholders how can we truly align what is good for the business with what's good for society etc so it's been a fascinating exploration and we found a great level of receptivity in the world the movement has grown a great deal we're in 40 cities now and close to 20 other countries and it's entering the mainstream of conversation now people are talking about these ideas the business roundtable has recently essentially adopted this language of purpose and stakeholders. Uh, you know, BlackRock, the world's largest money manager, has been talking about this. Many other companies, uh, your own CEO at uh, Salesforce, has been also articulating these kinds of ideas for many years. So I think there's a moment in time now where all of these things are coming together and we may be at a, some kind of a tipping point. You know, we may be at our own Berlin Wall moment 
where the world suddenly changes and the story of business now enters a new a new phase. And so that's what we've been trying to do and that's what I feel like we're getting close to uh, achieving at this stage. And I think the heartbeat of a business is so important. And I often say that I think that customers will only be as happy as a brand's employees. What do you think of that statement? Yeah, absolutely. So you cannot ultimately have happy customers without happy employees. That's certainly true in service industries, but I think it's generally true, right? And in fact, you know, if you think about not just that, the suppliers, if you think about the investors, if you think about the communities, the environment, right? What we say is that there is no win without a win-win. If somebody is losing in your stakeholder system, Right? If somebody is benefiting and being the others are being squeezed, whether it's your employees are not getting paid well or your suppliers are being squeezed and they're not profitable or investors are getting poor returns, well, ultimately the whole system comes crashing down because of that. Right, So there's no win without a win-win. And if somebody is losing, then you haven't really arrived at the solution. Right, So we have to figure out, it. we do business in a way that everybody matters and everybody wins. And that means all your stakeholders. Right. So we have to think about it that way, and uh, we cannot no long we can no longer afford all of those sort of externalities that we've talked about in business for a long time, right? Whether it's on the environment, or on our communities, or on people's health and well-being. The fact is that people pay a tremendous price in their own physical and emotional uh, and psychological health and well-being uh, just to have a job, right? I mean, there's a huge amount of stress. Uh, there's uh, huge amounts of uh, uh, excessive deaths that happen. About 120,000 Americans die every year because of stress connected to work. An estimated 600,000 Chinese people die every year from overwork. Right? So these are the human costs of doing business. And we have to start to recognize those and then see what we can do not only to reduce them, but to actually have the opposite effect. You know, we don't need to be harming people to be successful in business. We don't need to damage people's health and well-being. In fact, quite the contrary. The more people are able to thrive and flourish, the more successful our businesses will also be. Well, so now, now we've got, you know, where do I begin? Because I find it hard-pressed that people wouldn't agree with what you've just said and much of what you outlined in the book. And I highly recommend any of them as you know, a starting point or a framework for, for our listeners to figure out what does that all mean? But if you could give one or two or three things where you say, you know, look, if this resonates with you and you feel like either your brand is doing a good job at this or has some work to do or hasn't begun at all, where would you suggest someone begins? Well, if you're a CEO of a company, then you have to start with the question of purpose. You know, have you clearly identified what your company's purpose is. And I like to think beyond the brand level to the company level, right? that what is the overall reason for this company to exist? What is the impact that you're trying to have in the world? Right? So how do you discover and how does that purpose of the company align with your personal uh, passion and purpose as a leader? And all of those things have to be in alignment and, and in harmony. And then how do we attract people with who have congruent values and a sense of purpose with that? Right? If we can create a system in which everybody is functioning, uh, not only thinking of their work as a job or a career, but as a calling, right? where even if you win the lottery on Friday, you would still want to show up to work on Monday because the work has meaning beyond right. the paycheck. Right? I think that's the condition. those are the conditions we want to try and create in every business. And if you do that, then 
everything else follows from that. You know, if you just look at the overall state of affairs today, employee engagement worldwide is 15%, one five, right? 85% of people don't care about their work. The US is a little better, but it's still not great. Uh, imagine how that would look if you had 90% of people passionately committed to what they're doing. Imagine the gains in productivity, in, uh, in uh, creativity, in innovation, in customer care. All of those things are dramatically better when you have a business in which all of these energies are aligned in that way. Right? So you start with a sense of purpose, or identifying your purpose and what are the core values and, then you see, and you build from there. And then you make sure that you start creating value and serve all of your stakeholders at a deep level and then figure out how to think of them as an interconnected system so you don't have trade-offs. So that in order to benefit your investors, you don't have to squeeze your employees. Right? or to give lower prices to your customers, you don't have to uh, start squeezing your suppliers, etc. How can you do it in a way that everybody benefits from that? Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long journey. It's not a, an overnight transformation, but we know we know how to, how to do it. Uh, we have a book called The Conscious Capitalism Field Guide as well, Tools for Transforming the Organization, in which we can assess where we are today and then how do we get to where we need to go. And with that said, who do you think should drive those things internally? So I think across all three of them, right? One, we're not doing it, meaning, you know, they don't have someone dedicated it. So we're not doing it at all. Do you take somebody who is doing another job and carve out part of their time? Do you go hire someone specifically to be dedicated full time? And then, you know, the next question would be, we're kind of doing it, you know, uh, what you know sort of what's the role the responsibility who should be driving this i get that the ceo should set the tone but then of course you have to have someone to do the work so how yeah. do you advise uh companies you know to actually navigate this from a pure you know getting the organization to come up with what is our purpose then how do you communicate it internal external then how do you get everybody rallied around it there has to be someone who's driving that conversation yeah so i think first of all uh, you're right right in saying that the CEO has to be bought into this and deeply committed to this for the long haul. Right? This is a journey that takes what we call courageous patience. You're not going to see overnight results. Uh, it's going to take time. Uh, and the bigger the company and the more longer you've been around, the more time it's likely to take. But it does show results, uh, you know, after uh, a year or two, definitely you start to see significant changes. So we need the CEO to be on board in a public company. You also need the board of directors to be part of that journey. But then uh, typically companies will designate some senior executives to kind of be the uh, overall uh, uh, you know, in charge of that process, typically with some outside help. You know, there are experts on purpose on that journey. So the process, not just do we sit together and go on a retreat and then come up with a, a tagline. You know, the process matters and the inclusivity of that process matters and all voices need to be heard and all stakeholders need to be part of that exploration and that journey. So there is an expertise there that people have developed over time. Right? So uh, we can bring in that kind of outside help, but with in internal sponsors and, and then an involvement, as I said, with all of the company stakeholders over time. So that's a, you know, a journey that takes three to four months to uncover all of that and to come up with something that truly resonates at a deep level and has buy-in already from all of the stakeholders. And then we can start working on the other pieces of that as well, you know, the stakeholders. And then we need to look at the culture and what what is the culture today versus what is the desired culture and how do we get from here to there? And in each case, again, we would have 
executives, you know, maybe in that case, it might be people from, uh, you know, the, uh, the human resources function uh, that might be involved in the internal culture of the company. Uh, for example, but you need a team of team of inner uh, internal executives that are part of this change management process, with the active involvement of the CEO as well. And so, do you think that there should be set metrics that the company is held, you know, held towards? You know, is it, you know, the Glassdoor list of best places to work? Is it the UN sustainability list? You know, it, you know, many companies have always aspired to be like on the JD Powers list, number one, or on this list, right? And so. Is there something that then you could say, okay, here's our vision. And I, I love the fact that you said, look, this is a long journey. Everyone has to be committed. This is There is no end game. It just becomes who you are and part of your DNA. But of course, in that overall stakeholder, shareholder, broader shareholder value, uh, there needs, and back to the board, if you're a big enough company, that everybody wants to say, are we, these investments, are they paying off? And so how would you recommend people actually measure and manage that? Yeah, so I think uh, uh, less than the external recognition of Glassdoor or JD Power or best places to work, etc. I think it's more important to have internal measures and track those over time because you're basically competing with your own prior self, right? So we can measure uh, employee engagement and uh, and loyalty and passion and uh, commitment and so forth. I mean, there's many ways to measure that internally. Uh, likewise, with customer uh, satisfaction and advocacy and net promoter scores and so forth. So for each stakeholder, we can devise, and we have our own instruments that we use that we can assess overall where we are, and then you can keep uh, running those assessments over time to see how we are progressing over time in that. There's also something called the B Corp movement, for benefit corporation and you don't even have to become a b corporation by uh, you know legally but you can still actually work with them and uh, and do these assessments detailed assessments over time to see how you're doing on all of these different stakeholders uh, and uh, various other types of important measures that are there so tracking those over time uh, you know and also recognizing that you know not everything that matters can be measured right so some things remain somewhat intangible Right. But uh, but there are many things that can be measured quite readily and those can be tracked. And then, you know, the external recognition that that follows over time. What I find with some companies is when they set an external sort of uh, vision for an external recognition that we want to be this. What happens once you achieve that, there's kind of a, a letdown, you know, and then you take your eyes off of that. And, you know, it's like, OK, we achieved that particular goal. Now we're going to do something else. Well, you know, those things remain important forever can't never be not be a great place to work you can't never be a company that customers are truly uh, loyal and advocates for right so we need to sustain those over time and not have these sort of uh, one-off kinds of goals that uh, that can then peter out you know the momentum that we have well this has been fantastic raj i hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as i have i wish we had you know more time but uh, you know, I'd love to to make sure that we let our listeners know how they can continue to follow your work uh, and what you're doing. So what are the best ways to keep in touch with with what you're up to? Uh, let's see, I have a website, uh, www.rajsisodia.com. Uh, and uh, I think we also have websites for some of the books. Everybody Matters has its own website, consciouscapitalism.org. Uh, for the movement, um, we have healingorganizations.com for the new book. So I'm not hard to find. You, know, you just search in Google and you'll find all kinds of stuff. So 
Uh, and, you know, I encourage people to join the conscious capitalism movement. And very likely there's a chapter in a city near you because we are in most of the major uh, cities in this country. Uh, and that's a great community for people to become part of and discover their tribe of people who think about business in a deeper uh, and more human way. You know, it's not just about making a living. It's not just about making money. This is about uh, making a difference and this is about achieving true happiness in life through doing work that is meaningful and that has a positive impact on the lives of others. The way I say it is, you know, we are put on earth here to care for each other and business is a way for us to care for each other at scale. And if we can think about our work in that way, then that becomes deeply satisfying and a source of, uh, of great fulfillment uh, for all of us. And I think that will go a long way in addressing many of the things that uh, ail our society nowadays. Well, that was great. Well, thank you, Raj. It's really just been a pleasure. I've so enjoyed our conversation and uh, I look forward to keeping in touch with all your work and, and keeping the dialogue going. But uh, you know, I highly recommend any of uh, Raj's book, most most importantly, uh, his latest works, because I think it's it's just the timing is perfect and the healing organization as well as uh, conscious cap- capitalism. So thank you again, Raj, for joining the What's Next podcast today. Thank you, Tiffany. I enjoyed our conversation. What a great conversation. I so enjoyed talking to Raj today. I loved how he based so much of his work starting in marketing, and then really uncovering this unmet need around the conversation of conscious capitalism, and then marrying those two things together to help brands just be better every single day, and not only serving their employees, but the communities that they serve. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did in doing it. Don't forget, please subscribe, leave some feedback, keep in touch, and I'll look forward to having you join me again next time. Thanks a lot for joining me today on the What's Next podcast.